welcome to One Cardinal, One Cup, and One Beer. I am the naked-faced host, co-host Vincent Opper. With me is James Jonas Jackson, or Javier uh, <laughs> Hervé. Joe Hittenmeyer. Whatever. So, <laughs> JJ. <laughs> uh, before we go any further, uh, I do want to uh, make sure that you like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it this week. Uh, you can contact us through one card, one cup, one beer at gmail.com. Subscribe to our page by clicking at the icon at the bottom right part of the corner, bottom part of the screen of the corner. Um, and if you're watching this on TV at the end of the uh, show, just uh, use your remote, click up to the circle, uh, hit enter, and you will be subscribed to us. And then, like I said, we will have your souls for life. You can support us through Patreon. Just go to Patreon and uh, type in one cardinal, one cup, and one beer, and you can find us. And you can support us from anywhere from 3 to 5 to $10 with some perks to go through that. But it really does help us a lot maintain our luxurious lifestyle, which is uh, what we really want. Um, JJ, I got, a, I got a trivia question for you. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm always up for that. Next week, trivia is back. Max is back at school and he's ready to rock and roll. So we're gonna have trivia back next week. So I want me, uh, want me to talk to our person that wanted to face us. Talk to yeah, yeah. Phone? You just make sure he's got all those technical difficulties solved and uh, <laughs> see if he's the first one to knock us off the uh, off the. Mountain. All right. I'm here's looking forward. Here's my trivia okay. question: Who is the only player in Major League Baseball history to have three thousand hits, five hundred home runs? a 300 career batting average or above and has won a triple crown. Could it be Miguel Cabrera? It is. I did not hey! know that. Uh, watching the game, uh, the Cubs are losing three to nothing in the uh, top of the fourth right now to the Tigers, but Cabrera comes up to bat and they have that stat. I thought, wow, that's, that's a amazing that's company. And uh, he's got 502 home runs. And that sounds like a lot, but the contemporary hitter that he is most compared to is Albert Pujols, who had 202 more home runs than him. Uh, his career batting average is still above 300. I think Albert. No, he did. Dropped low he, 200. Dropped. The last four years in California, he hit maybe 248. You know. Yeah, so uh, does have a little bit of a higher batting average, but uh, yeah, uh, pretty cool. Um, He's not hitting well this year. I think he's only got two home runs. Uh, it's his last year of that ginormous contract. So uh, he's been he's been great for the game. He has a lot of fun when he was in his glory years. I remember the fans would interact with him, or he'd go over and get a little popcorn from one of the kids in the front row and stuff. And I just love the guy. Yeah, he he's always been really great with the kids. Um, and to uh, stick around in Detroit for all those years, uh, they had some success, but not quite the success that they thought they were going to have when he went there. But he's been in, been on some really terrible teams, and uh, it's just kind of kind of kept it going. So he's uh, he's going to be highly thought of by the Detroit fans for decades to come. He's a Hall of Famer. That so, guy's going straight in first ballot. Um. We have a friend of the show who uh, had a medical procedure today. Uh, do you have an update on Phil Brooks? No, I had seen him two weeks ago. I wished him well, told him we, everybody was thinking about him. 
Uh, but I haven't heard anything. Nothing's been posted. And, uh, you know, I'll hear, I'll probably hear from him something this week sometime. Okay. I thought he has posted on Facebook. Uh, oh, he has. I didn't, yeah. he didn't post to me. I didn't see it. This is, this is what's amazing to me. Um, he, he has a brain tumor. They went in. Uh, it's an outpatient procedure. He doesn't even have uh, anesthesia. And uh, it was a very successful procedure. And this used to be something where you would be, I mean, this was something that really upset your life. He drove home. That's how much modern oh my medicine has progressed. Uh, well, Amazing. he didn't drive home. He could have driven home, but his oh. family wouldn't hear of it. Uh, said on, on his Facebook post, but uh, uh, JJ's good friend, Phil, uh, I, I barely know him. I know him from, from here, but uh, Phil, uh, um, I don't care what your belief system is. If you're religious, say a prayer, light a candle. Um, if you're into good thoughts, good thoughts, anything to help help a fellow baseball fan out. So, JJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, we had a winner. Are we? This is our 47th episode. I keep track of all that. I and this, everything this, like baseball this, this is an historic winner, by the way. Yeah. Yes, we had 10. Uh, okay, so the contest was named the amount of runs the Cubs and the Cardinals score Saturday and Sunday. So that's four games, two Cubs, two Cardinals. And altogether, the Cubs scored one. They won both games. They won six and they won six to four and four to three. So that's 10 runs by the Cubbies. And the Cardinals lost 13 to two and won seven to three. So that's 19 runs. We had 10 people participate and Candy barks pick 20 she was one off she wins the colton wong bobblehead she wanted to thank us and uh her son is going to be getting that uh for his birthday one of the things she gives him for his birthday so that's pretty darn cool yeah i'm happy for her very good we had people First say as little as, uh, yes yes and we had we had two females out of the 10 were uh two were female out of the 10 contestants this this time so we had more female contestants I like seeing that. Yep, mark it uh, down. JJ likes seeing females. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just me and Vince here. It's nice to see a female. I'll talk to a female. I love their perspective too. You know, Shannon. I love talking to her when she's on here. She's great. Uh, so she won, and I watched a couple documentaries this week, Vince. And I don't know if you've ever seen this one. One called Saving Wrigley Field. Have you seen that? It's like forty-eight minutes long. And it's about, uh, they were looking at Wrigley Field. It was over 100 years old, and it was just kind of getting outdated and what they could do to fix it up because they didn't want to get a new stadium. And uh, so they started, this was about the time Theo came over, and, and they showed pictures of their old locker room, and it was just small, and everybody was on top of each other. And Theo says, we want an updated locker room. So they kind of went underground next to the stadium and made it underground. It was hard because it was sand. They had to use some kind of new style of building and built this incredible um, locker room that's round with a cubby thing on the ceiling. It showed the uh, players going in, taking pictures. And then they also, they had nothing uh, no cables or anything for like uh, massages or uh, any kind of uh, where they could sit in the, the hot water and uh, 
and you know uh, all that kind of stuff so they built this state-of-the-art thing and they credit all that work into that 2016 world championship because kyle schwarber went down and they were gonna have to send him out to you know get uh you know worked on and they could do it there at the stadium and they said it probably got him back to the team faster and it was just beautiful and the kind of course down there in wrigley used to be so small that everybody had to go down if they wanted a drink or something and they were crammed in there and they they now have stuff at the top of the stadium they showed them working on it and they've got the new hd uh scoreboard so this was a documentary about wrigley field and i really enjoyed it it was pretty cool and uh they all coincide with the cubs winning the world series in 2016 and that's kind of the end of the video yeah the uh the facilities were very spartan up until then and they they finished the uh of course they finished the home locker room before they also updated the visitors locker room but i think that took another 12 14 months to do <laughs> players would joke of course. yeah they're still having us on top of each other so um it was it was like during the 80s uh when guys have long flowing hair and they needed hair dryers that trouble finding places to plug these in um oh, and the cubs one of the reasons they had a hard time drawing free agents is because i mean what do you want to go to a brand new stadium like uh you know in the late 80s early 90s Camden yards or would you rather go to uh something that is akin to a uh small college locker room so uh it, it was one of the uh um highlights that doesn't get talked about in the evolving of the Cubs being a contending team was the upgraded facilities. They didn't even have a batting cage. They used to have to go in. If you were going to pinch it, you went down and you hit off the tee and about 10 foot was a wall with a tarp hanging down. You just hit off the tee into that. They didn't even have a batting cage where the players could warm up. And they were pinch hitting so it's come a long way baby yes and i haven't been to wrigley since i'm gonna say 2002 and they now have an area where it's like kids can play in the fountains and uh families can set outside uh and like picnic like a little picnic area outside the stadium so that's really nice i i had no clue that this all because you know as a fan we don't get to see underneath the stadium and everything and it's really come a long way and like you said no batting cages they had to put a net up in the locker room and there'd be people dodging balls and they'd be hitting into the padding that they put up so they could hit into the padding and i just didn't realize it was that kind of uh thing going on but good for the cubs i'm glad wrigley field has stayed i think baseball is better for having fenway and wrigley there because it's i'm telling you why well, it's a treat to go to that ballpark i'm gonna try to make it back up there sooner than later so I did see that. And another documentary I seen, Vince, um, I bought this and I hadn't found it for a long time. And our cable was down. So I put this in. It's 1982. It's a uh, uh, oh, Bob Euchre is narrating it. But it's the, the story of the buildup to the 1982 wow. uh, Brewers, Harvey Wallbangers. Let me tell you something. This is great. They go back to like 1980 where they're putting a the team together. And Yout was uh, like a 19-year-old kid who got invited to spring training and made the team. And here comes Molotor about four years later and that whole team. I can name them all. 
the big trade with the Cardinals to get Vukovic and Fingers and Simmons. And uh, Euchre does a good job. And at the end, there's specials in there where you can hear uh, Molitor and Yout's Hall of Fame induction speeches. It's pretty darn cool. And uh, we got invited, maybe for a special episode, uh, Tony Pruno said, hey, you Vince, come on over. Watch the Harvey Wallbangers, and you guys can even do an episode from the from the palace. So I'm, I'm just letting you know that. You, all right, we'll do that. Maybe number 50 or number 75 or something this winter or something. But that'd be pretty cool. Uh, so those two things I got to watch. And um, uh, the, the Cardinals this weekend, Cardinal News Now, uh, we had our Red Jackets Club, our Hall of Fame, Cardinal Hall of Fame inductions. Uh, Max Lanier went in. A very good pitcher. I'll mention him later, especially some of his statistics. And Jose Okendo, who, if you just look at his time as a player, uh, he was solid. He was a utility man, but he's much more than that. He's the guy that's sort of branched from Kissel to Ricketts to Okendo, who's been down in the minors. He was he was a uh, a coach on the team, but he's mainly been in the minors working with guys. Uh, I remember one of his, uh, Todd Zeal, we had two catchers, Pagnozzi and Zeal, and he taught Zeal to play third, and he did a very nice job being a third baseman. Uh, help guys move to different positions, and he's been down in the minors. All of our guys who come up have worked with Okendo at one time or another. So he went in, and Albert came back to town to see Okendo put into the Cardinals Hall of Fame, which was very, very cool. Uh, and uh, a lot of people who live in DeSoto, Missouri, know Okendo, he's always around in town. I don't know if he lives there anymore, but his kids all played high school sports at DeSoto. And I think he helped get them a new uh, baseball field. So if you ever go out there, they got a pretty nice baseball field for Jefferson County. And Okendo had a lot to do with that. Uh, other things going on. Let's see. Uh, oh, we have a new center fielder, and I love these kind of stories. Uh, we got him for cash considerations from Cleveland. And uh, his name is Richie, and I'm going to screw up the last name, Pala Kios. And he's a second baseman outfielder, and he's been playing center field because we've got so many people. we got nine people in the DL right now, and he's made some eye-popping plays out there. And tonight, Richie's playing for the Cardinals, and his brother Joshua is the center fielder for the Pirates. And Vince, I don't know about you, but I love stories like that. What's the chances of making the big leagues anyway? They're both from Puerto Rico. Uh, work their way up through the minors and they're both in the big leagues now and they're playing each other, the Pirates and the Cardinals, and they're both playing center field. So that's, I think that's just a cool story right there. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, the Cardinals have been horrible. No, that's no news for anybody, but on the good side, if the season ended right now, we get the number five pick in each round. So, you know, with, with some rain comes some sunshine right there. So we're right now we're the number five pick. I know uh, it's Oakland and Kansas City and I think Rockies are in there. And I don't know who the other one is, but then us at five. So right now that's what that's going on. Um, like I said, we have nine guys on the DL, and this is kind of sad. Um, we have Gorman and Donovan, Mats, Helsley, Carlson. Um, let's see, Newt Bar. Uh, uh, Packy Naughton's on the DL, uh, Woodford's on the DL, and Rodriguez. Rodriguez was a guy who never made it out of spring training. He's been hurt all year. He's a bullpen guy. We got him out of the international draft, and we thought he was going to be pretty good. But that's a pretty good team you got on the DL there. Yeah, our D I think our DL team could give I, our I, starters or 
<laughs> oh, that's right. IR uh, run for their money. Well, the Mason win uh, era has started. He's played four games for us. He's got three hits. And Vince, I was going to ask you this question. You know what I'm going to say? Now, I, I'm, I'm going to hold what I'm going to say. And I think me, you probably agree on this. But he got his first hit, an infield hit against the Mets. The ball's thrown over. He legged it out at first. And I thought I seen some Cardinals going like this. That's like the universal sign of, hey, throw the ball in. It's the kid's first hit. I don't know what Alfonso was thinking, Alonzo, but he turned. I, I I never seen a ball when they are safe at first where they take the ball and just throw it in the stands. And he threw it in the stands. And I, I'm sitting there. And my first reaction was, what the heck? That was the kid's first hit. What's he doing? And uh, so what, what did you think about that? Did you hear about that story? I read about it first and I thought it was an accident. And then when I saw it, I had second thoughts. <laughs> and so I researched it. How can I put this and keep this a family show? Oh. Alonzo is pretty much a jerk. I'll put it that way. Um, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And he's said that he did it on accident well apparently he's never just tossed the ball into the stands before uh, so i don't know if he was trying to be funny or whatever but uh, there's no way he could have known something special the crowd is cheering this the sign unless he is completely out of the loop when he's on the field which maybe he is i don't know because fielding isn't one of his things um uh, You've got to be in, in the game enough to know that uh, I've never seen this guy before. The crowd's going crazy. He gets a hit. Got a first base coach there is probably saying, hey, it's first major league hit. And then he threw it in there. But the overkill of apology was like, all right, so, you know, you're sending the guy uh, uh, tequila. You're, you, you give the fan an autograph bat to get the ball back and everything. Okay, so I made amends for it. But I don't know if he was just if he his sense of humor so warped, he was trying to be funny, but um, trying to antagonize the crowd. I don't know, but um, yeah, the more I'm digging up on Alonzo, he's kind of got that reputation. So, well, we we've had there was one dust up with him one time where there was like a scuffle on a thing, and uh, Stubby clapped the first base coach wrapped him up and kept him from getting involved and, you know, just said, let him set it out. And I think there was some hard, maybe some hard feelings there. I don't know, but he said, you know, I could put some people in the hospital. So Brad Thompson, every time he mentions them on the radio, says, so, you know, he could put people in the hospital. He always says that. But uh, I thought, I was like, what the heck? And then I saw the Cardinals yelling at him and he goes, okay, okay, okay. And later, uh, oh, uh, Aaron Otto, got a hit and they they played together in the world baseball classic and they were just talking and it seemed fine and he apologized and i was like well no no harm no foul uh he came out looking kind of bad on that but that's baseball we've all made mistakes before i didn't hold him too too hard on that he got the ball that's cool and uh you know maybe maybe some good will come out of it i don't know but anyway that he normally did you know just and that was just kind of like his reaction he normally did that but apparently that's not something he normally does no i had never seen that on a fair i mean on a hit i maybe on a ball that was a 
foul and got yeah. dirt on it. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Crowd. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. But anyway, so we had that. But Wynn has looked really good. Uh, I know he's trying to impress. It seems like he's pressing a little bit. But, man, he's looked good at short vents. I'm excited. This kid's, you know, he's an athlete. I don't know, you know, I know his first year. I don't know what he's going to hit. But I know with time. And he seems like a hard worker. And, you know, I like. I just like this kid. I think he's going to get better and better with time. And we, we may, as long as he don't get hurt, we might have a special player for a long time. Him and Walker coming up together. This could be fun. And it's nice to have something to look forward to, Vince. I know you've had some Cub years where it's down and bleak. This gives me some hope for the future with these two, with these young kids and everything. Did you see uh, where uh, Paul DeYoung landed? Well, I seen he got released by Toronto. He got uh, but, DFA by Toronto, yes. But he, but he ended. I did not know he ended up with somebody else. Uh, yeah, the uh, the Giants picked him up. Well, that, uh, I, good. Hours ago. Well, that's oh, okay. See, I hadn't heard that yet. Well, good for him because um, you know the people we got for him have actually done okay. They've been okay, so uh, I'm happy for him. You never know what's going to happen if you fight, get in the big leagues. The Giants are a team that could make the playoffs this year. He might have a great fall. I think they're in the third wild card spot right now. And uh, yeah, I I don't know what happened in Toronto. Um, I don't know. They're fighting for a playoff chance. They don't have time to let this guy get settled in and get hot. They had to, Bo Bichette's coming back. Uh, This guy's sitting under 100. We have to let him go. And Bo Bichette picked right up where he left off. Oh, got off the injured list. So. You know, when they had all those young players, I thought, and Vladdy, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is phenomenal, but I thought he was the big star, but maybe Bo Bichette's that guy. But Vince, I wasn't big on all these teams making the playoffs, but man, it's going to be fun. I mean, there's only like six of us teams that are just sitting there watching you guys battle it out. We're, it's going to be fun. Everybody's got, I mean, most of the teams have a shot and, uh, it's going to be fun. Teams that haven't made the playoffs in a long time, and uh, it'll be fun. Houston, you know, they're having they're they're struggling a little bit right now. I know they're way out there, but you know, nothing's for sure. And then you want to get that bye, and uh, I don't know, Vince. I'm excited. This is going to be fun. And I don't have a fight a dog in the fight, so I can just sit back and enjoy it. And there's so much good baseball going on right now. It's not even funny. We had a kid that we got in the uh, Montgomery deal. And he was killing it in Memphis, and he came up a pitch yesterday and had a horrible start. But I think being your first start, I thought he was just excited, and I hope he gets another chance. His name's Drew Rom. He had two great games in the minors. He struck out 18 and 11 innings and just was killing down there. We brought him up because uh, Libertor had to move back for some stiffness in his arm, and uh, he got rocked last night by Pittsburgh. But I hope the next time around he gets another shot because uh you know it's tough on a kid he i know he was giving it his all but it man they were rocking him last night so uh maybe next time but we've had some oh i was gonna say it's really tough to have that spot start be your major league debut because you're so amped up and in hitting you can be amped up and you know that's just gonna put you a little more uh speed up your bat a little bit it's fastball a little bit better uh, but when you're pitching and you're amped up and you speed up, you lose control. Um, your pitches aren't sharp. 
And it's just very tough to make that spot, your major league debut as a spot start. It's tough to make your major league debut anyway as a pitcher to rein in those those emotions so you could pitch like you normally would. But that spot starts very difficult. So, yeah, just – yeah, uh, just, I don't think that's – it, it, you can't measure his future by that. No. And I know these kids, like, I don't know how many chances I'm going to get. I'm going to do my very best. I'm going to make the best. And then it just puts stress on you and everything. I'll be, I mean, we're out of it. Let's look at the kids. And I, I want to see that kid pitch again. I'm excited about it. Now, some of the guys that we've taken a look at here down the stretch here have done very well. Dakota Hudson, I wish he had done this all year. He's 5-0 and now. And the last seven starts have all been very, very good. Uh, Libertor is looking better. Uh, Steven Matz, who is hurt right now, man, he has come on since coming out of that bullpen. So that's fantastic. Contreras is hitting the daylights out of the ball. And I, I want to recall this in the wintertime, everybody was saying, we need to catch. This was before Contreras came here. We need a catcher. We need a catcher. And the uh, Toronto had three catchers they said would be better than anything we got. And we should trade for him. And I don't know what they wanted, but we didn't go in that direction. But right now, Kisner is having a better year than any three of their Toronto catchers. So sometimes a good trade is a trade you don't make. Yeah. And between between Kisner and, and Contreras, I'm really happy with how the catchers are hitting. And then we got Herrera coming too. So this winter, we can't keep Kisner and Herrera. One of them's going to be probably dealt a trade to get some pitching. So, uh, and Herrera's had a great year too. So, uh, it'll probably be Herrera that goes, I have to say, because he's got a lot of, up. Uh, I think, a lot of promise. This uh, Joe, uh, John John King that we got in a trade uh, with Rangers, he's pretty much coming to the bullpen and has done fantastic. He's got a 1.50 ERA. Um, he's pitched six innings, and he's pretty much taken over where Stratton was at. So uh, that's kind of an even swap there. He's doing a fine job, and we really like him. And uh, I was going to talk about the DFAs. Carson Kelly got DFA'd from Arizona. I don't know where he's going to end up. He's in Detroit. He caught against the Cubs last night. I, I was surprised they turned on the uh, turned on the channel and said, "And the uh, newest Tiger batting ninth for the uh, Tigers is Carson Kelly." And I thought, Carson huh. Kelly. How about that? Well, he was the guy that's supposed to take over from Molina, but Molina played like a couple more years, so we ended up dealing him. And in the uh, Goldschmidt trade, which we stole Goldschmidt, and. Uh, so now he's up there, which good. I want to see him have a nice career. He's been solid. I don't know who's catching mainly for Arizona now. Can't I? Man, it's hard to keep up with everybody. Uh, and then we talked about the young, and we talked about Wong got DFA'd, but he's now with the Dodgers. Yes. What a place to yeah, – that's a nice place to end up right there. So he might get some uh, – he's a veteran. Might get some playing time in the uh, playoffs. Um, what else? Oh, this week. The Cardinals were 55 and 71. I'm not going to go over this too much. This week, uh, we're two and five. It was just brutal. And most of the games we're losing, they're not really a, a contest. We're just getting smoked. So uh, it's just depressing. But one of the kids we got from Texas, who I, I saw play in Springfield, his name's, I'm going to mess up his last name, Tom Segaris. Uh, he's a second baseman. He hit for the cycle the other night. He's hitting 353 in 18 games. He's hitting about 320 for the season. Uh, he's 21 years old. He was their fifth round pick for Texas. And I tell you what, with him coming, uh, that makes it where we could probably trade either Edmund or Donovan. And Edmund's probably going to be the odd man out. 
course, that'd been my play center field next year. I don't know what's going to go on, but we have now, now it looks like we got the two big utility men and this other kid coming, but he's just in double A right now, but he looks like he might be something special too. And uh, last thing, Vince, I was going to talk about this. I had a couple of things I want to go on, but this is my little rant at the end of this. I saw several articles talking about, oh, the greatest fans of baseball. That is kind of an albatross around our neck, the greatest fans of baseball. I didn't say it. Although I'll put my fandom up against anybody's. I'm a crazy nut. I love my Cardinals. Just probably as much as you love the Cubs and somebody else loves your your relative loves the Mets. <laughs> but I, I, everybody's got one family member like that. But I, I look, you can look at the uh, recap of the game and you can see the attendance. And this weekend, there was a lot of empty seats, but the Cardinals had 42,000 tickets sold Friday, 40 on Saturday and 39,000 on uh, Sunday. And I, one of the things I can't compare, but the Cardinals have great giveaways. And I think it was so hot this weekend. A lot of people just went and got their gift and sat over there at uh, Ballpark Village on the in the air conditioning and watched the game over there or something. But the ballpark looked empty. That was kind of sad, but they sold. They're still selling 42, uh, averaging 40,000 seats. And for home games, the Cardinals are the third biggest attraction in baseball behind the Dodgers and Yankees. And we're the... 21st biggest city in the United States. So I'm pretty proud of that. It goes Dodgers, Yankees, Cardinals, Padres, Atlanta, Houston. And then on away games, the Cardinals are fourth biggest because Cardinal fans travel and the Cubs are fifth biggest uh, uh, on the road teams because a lot of Cubs fans travel. I know when they come to St. Louis, it's like, man, 40% of the crowd's Cub fans at the ballpark. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there that we still love our team. It looks sad to park's about empty but we're still on track we're still selling tickets anyway so that's it vince that's all i got on cardinal news right there you know, was it the sunday game where they had the red jacket induction yes okay yeah i i saw a few people were complaining about the crowd it's a day game number one number two Hot. it was desert like conditions and it, a day game with the sun beat down triple digits it's miserable. Number three, uh, let's face it, uh, uh, Lanier and Okendo are not the sexiest players, you know. Yeah. It's, it's not like, you know, Pujols or Yachty or Rock Yachty. or, Dixon or um, anybody else that Simmons. It, it was two players that were good, but really you don't think about as far as greatness so i didn't really pay that much attention and i know some people were complaining about it some cardinal fans were complaining about it my problem is i belong to a few groups for both teams and i i i was reading my wife one of the complaints uh i don't usually comment but we were playing detroit yesterday and they had a pitcher who i can't remember his name now i'd never seen him before um, he, I was telling JJ before we started recording this, he had a slider that was just tremendous last night. And we did scratch three runs off of him. We eventually won the game. But during the game, someone was complaining, yeah, we'd scored four runs on three hits at that time. Complaining, yeah, even though we've got four runs, you know, we've only got three hits, blah, 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 blah. And so I just said, 
we're facing a pitcher who's got a tremendous slider work tonight to go along with his other two pitches. So, yeah, it's very tough to hit. I don't know if this guy is going to be a really great major league pitcher, but I know even average major league pitchers have their days. Hey, I saw Chuck Rainey That's come right. one out from throwing a no-hitter in about 1983. Chuck Rainey, who's practically a softball player. <laughs> so anybody can have their day. And uh, so I, I made that comment, and uh, he basically said, I guess you don't know anything about pitching. Oh, oh yeah. I know those people. Whatever. So. <laughs> Hey, in coming news, uh, we went four and two this week since our last broadcast. Uh, Tuesday night, we uh, opened uh, with the Pale Hose from the south side of Chicago, where Bad Bad Leeward Brown oh. is from. I wonder if he's still alive. Even though he's a fictional character, I don't know. he'd be an old man by now. The Road Warriors were Road Warriors were from down there, and that they were actually from Minneapolis. You know that. So. Oh. Well, they, they always would talk about the bad side of Chicago. The one-man gang was from Halstead Street, <laughs> Chicago. No, he was from South Carolina, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Tuesday we lost to the Pale Hose 5-3 to three to start the uh, Crosstown Series. And being that was the game, this the two games you're playing in Wrigley was kind of deflating. But Wednesday we, uh, we won the game 4-3. to three. We're down three to nothing going into the bottom of the eighth. We look flat. We look terrible. Madrigal goes up to pinch hit. Madrigal, who is about two foot eight, weighs about 61 pounds, hit a home run into the basket, pinch hitting in the eighth, made it three to one. Excuse me. So we're down three to one in the ninth. There's two men on, and Burrell comes up against Santos, their closer. And if you haven't seen the highlights of this, it's one of the highlights of the whole season for Major League Baseball. On a one and two pitch, he takes him deep, walk off three run home run. Morrell, I love him. He sprints around the bases. He doesn't do a home run try. He sprints around the bases. As he's rounding third coming home, he rips off his jersey. So he's got the blue undershirt on. Touches home because, you know, the player's going to rip his jersey off. Well, the jersey's gone already. So they just Rip his undershirt off. Good thing <laughs> the guy is chiseled. And he's like, Ugh. it was so exciting. Oh, I, I watched that a few times. So that was really a jolt of energy we needed. The Talkman catch against the Cardinals and this home run are the two signature moments so far uh, for the Cubs this season. Magical things happen in a pennant drive. Sometimes oh, they do. Things out of the blue. Yeah, they it's going to be great. And Morrell is mired in a terrible slump. He's batting like 130 in August. So this kind of came out of nowhere because he is fighting it right now. But boy, he he took it deep and the place went nuts. So Friday, the Royals come into town and we celebrated with a 4-3 loss to the Royals. So Saturday, um, we uh, we won 6-4. Steele wins his 14th, which uh, leads Major League Baseball. Bellinger hits two more bombs, so we tie the Royals one-to-one. And then in the rubber game on Sunday, we defeat the Royals four-to-three. Hendricks had six and a third innings of pitch, one-run ball. Suzuki and Amaya hit home runs. Then last night, we go to Detroit, one-seven-to-six. We look flat. 
Um, this is one of those victories that we really had to grind to win it. Um, Assad pitched five and a third, uh, two runs, but he didn't get the decision. We have a depleted bullpen right now, so we had to kind of piece together the bullpen, and they hit the bullpen, scored some runs. But we still hung on. Suzuki hit another home run. So four and two, um, very pleased with the week. We are playing weak competition now, and we finished with Detroit. We have to go to Pittsburgh for four games. So once we're done with that, we have the Brewers. So Ooh, um, that's gonna be good. We, we need to keep uh, keep winning these games. It's it's sometimes fans have a hard time understanding why you just don't crush bad teams this time of the year. It's because these teams are out of it. They have players who are playing for jobs for next year. Just like the Cubs last year, we had a really good August and a really good September because we had a lot of hungry guys come up and play their butts off. And it becomes very difficult to defeat a team like that. So uh, this Royals team that's playing now is not the Royals team uh, that completely sucked a few months ago. They are playing for something as the Cardinals found out when they played them. Oh, yeah. Uh, this uh, uh, Detroit team, they're playing for something. Um, the uh, the White Sox have been playing a little bit better lately. So um, the Pirates, uh, uh, I hope they just give it up. I hope they just say forget it. I hope they say, you know what, we're going to forfeit these next four games. You guys can just go home. So uh, let's see if that happens. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. They're, you know, we're having trouble with them, but yeah. Uh. Yeah. In other news, uh, Marcus Stroman was coming back. He had inflammation in the hip, and it was a legit injury. They had to give him a cortisone injection to get the inflammation down. So he's doing a bullpen session. He's ready to come back. And I even said last week, my notes, Marcus Stroman is back. Um, he, uh, after his bullpen session, he goes uh, and does a little bit of fielding, and he starts to notice some discomfort in his chest cavity. He actually goes to the emergency room. They do do an EKG and his heart's fine. And uh, they send him home. The pain gets a little more um, intense. And so they do an MRI the next day. And he has uh, a fracture in the cartilage of his ribs. So we have no idea how long this takes to heal because it's not a baseball injury. He has no idea how it happened. It's kind of a fluky thing. Uh, we do know this. We have six weeks left in the season. He shut down. So let's say it takes four weeks to heal. Then he's going to have to ramp back up. So his season may be over. And he hasn't pitched well uh, since the middle of June, since since uh, London. London. But we, I mean, we're running out of arms. And I went through that last week. What really scares me is, are we going to have enough starting pitching to make it to the finish line? So Stroman's going to be out. Um, and one of the ripple effects is that Assad uh, started again yesterday, pitched really well. We had to bring Drew or uh, yeah, Drew Smiley out of the out of the bullpen, put him back in the rotation. And uh, the first two innings, he had given up three runs, so he's kind of back to where he was. And I haven't been checking the score since we've been on here. I've just been silently praying that we. Uh, we score some runs for down three nothing. So, <laughs> but anyway, we have a uh, that issue with uh, the starting pitching, and I'm thinking that the car the Cubs are just kind of playing it this way. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna approach this as if he's not coming back. 
does he want to come back? You better believe he wants to come back because he wanted to come back. He wanted to pitch really well, not just get Cubs to the playoffs, but he wants that big contract. They're not going to extend him. He wanted to look good for some other team, and he's not going to have that advantage. It's going to look like his last few months, he pitched terrible. He's got a player option for next year. If he exercises the option, he's going to make $21 million with the Cubs for next year. So he's going to make money next year. He can gamble and still go ahead and try free agency. I don't think most players would. I think they would take the, the, the team option. With Stroman, he's a different cat. And I could see him gambling and saying, yeah, I still want to try free agency. I still want to try for that four or five year contract to finish out my career. And uh, maybe he gets it somewhere. I don't know, but um, we do have that. How, how old is he? I think he's about 32, somewhere around oh, there. Isn't this school? might be the last time he gets a big contract. Yeah, it's going to make, I mean, I would probably be able to retire on 21 billion. Uh, yeah, I'd have to cut back yeah. a little bit. But. Sixty million, I've made the other portion of my group, maybe. But I can't understand. I mean, he doesn't want to end up on welfare, so try for that big guy. Right. I'd, yeah. <laughs> um, Tucker Barnhart has been DFA'd, and oh, we had five five free agents this year. Um, we had Bellinger, who I liked, Swanson who I liked. Um, Trey Mancini, who at the beginning of the year, I liked the signing. And then about three weeks into the season, I saw a big mistake. Um, and I Hosmer wasn't a free agent. I mean, he was going to get paid by the Padres no matter what, but we gave him a shot. I didn't like that. And he's gone. I never did like the Tucker Barnhart. Uh, we signed him for two years. Um, he has been terrible the last few years. Last year in Detroit, not only could he not hit, this former gold glove catcher was not good. The metrics weren't good with his defense. So, but I did understand we needed a backup catcher. And at that time, we were saying was, well, Gomes is 1A and uh, Barnhart's 1B. It'd be like a 60-40 split. Well, that, that kind of diminished as we realized that Barnhart sucks. So what did we do? We brought up Amaya, who I went over on this podcast, has had a litany of injuries, so he was kind of a surprise that he was playing so well and that he was healthy. And uh, they've showed enough confidence in him that they DFA Barnhart, and Amaya is now our backup catcher, and he celebrated with a home run on Sunday. So, well, that was actually a day or two before Barnhart got DFA, but um, I, I... Sorry that he's going to get paid by us next year, probably start somewhere else, but he's done. Um, could be a nice guy, but he's he's just done. Um, and as we speak right now, we are two and a half games out of first uh, behind the brew crew. We are in second place, and we do hold the second wild card spot right now, a half game ahead of the team that's got the third wild card spot. That is the San Francisco Paul DeYoungs. Hey, there you go. Like what I did there. <laughs> I like what you did there. Yeah. You know, the Giants, I, I give them credit, man. They go out and they're, you know, they try to get a big free agent. It didn't happen this year, but they collectively, that's a good 
playing team. They give you everything they got. I, I'm not blown away by the roster, but at the end, of, they got two big studs at the top, a nice bullpen at the end, and eight good starters and some guys that just worked their butts off on that bench. And they could give anybody a run for their money. But you don't look at them and get wild, but every year, most years are right there in it, you know? They remind me of the National League version of the Rays, except the Rays, when their players get to the point of free agency, they generally let them go and reload because they have a tremendous minor league system. The Giants tend to hold on to their players and probably hold on to them a little bit too long. Uh, some of them, Brandon Bell, for example, but yeah. they, they kind of, the players come up, they're not intimidated by the show. They're not as talented as their competition for the most part, but they've, read this winning culture that filters on down the organization. So by the time they get to San Francisco, these players expect to win. And you know, who, who are their stars? Uh, Posey has, uh, has oh, yeah. uh, retired. Um, uh, they got Crawford, Brandon Crawford. He's a, Crawford he's a, been, star, he's a San Francisco star, but around the league, you know, I think most kids don't know who he is, yeah, he, but he, I do. I think he's a good, very player. good shortstop, but he's not a great player. Um, right. They, they, they just seem to have this culture of where they expect to win. And they generally do. Two years ago when they won like 106 games, 107 games. So was that two I don't know where it's like, this team is not that good. How are they doing this? It's that culture that they've built. So, uh, pretty cool. Hey, JJ, let me ask yes, you sir. a little bit. Of, of course. Question. Do you ever oh, have look out. issues in your personal relationships? Oh, you would we have. <laughs> we all do. We all do. I need some help, Vince. You want to know who you can go to for, for some help? Who's that? I'm getting a pen out right now. Jeremy Connor. Just watch this. Oh. Comes a time in every man's life when he needs some advice on relationships. You need to listen to the podcast DMDR, which stands for Dating, Marriage, Divorce, Remarriage, from my good friend, Jeremy Connor, the Dr. Phil of the Boot Hill. You can find DMDR on Spotify or whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcast. Oh, I love Jeremy Connor. Great guy. Jeremy's a great guy. Uh, JJ had an idea. Let's do our Mount Rushmore of our team's managers. So the first thing I had to do was to Google what is Mount Rushmore. And then I had to count <laughs> each one of the heads to find out how many I wanted to do. And then I was really embarrassed to find out that none of those four even managed a major league game. I mean, oh man, I was going to do the Great Wall of China manager. Uh, wall of managers, but that'd be a little too long, I think. We only got an hour and a half. Do, do we want to trade off or do you want to do well, your let's trade off? Yeah, let's trade off. Go four up to one if you if you like. It's fun going to research and all this because I learned a lot that some things I didn't even know. And it's it's just fun to go back and look through all the managers we've had. Well, kick us off. All right. I don't I one thing I learned in the 1800s. Sometimes the Cardinals would have six managers. I think the owner must have just woke up one day and said, you know, you're out, you're in. And they, they would have a year where they'd have six managers. So you, there's really no uh, 
continue nothing constant in the 1800s it was just a guy here and a guy there so since 1900 the cardinals have had 33 managers that's pretty good that's that's not a whole lot of managers over 123 seasons so my number four and the cardinals really are success are great successes the 40s the 60s the 80s the late 2000s and the early 2010s that's kind of like when we really had our great teams together but I put number four is uh, Albert Red Shandings at number four. Now, you probably thought I'd go higher with Red Shandings. I, I thought, well, yeah, if you're going to go higher, then we are going to eventually get the burn wrap. So. Wrap. <laughs> That's a great call from the back man i'll if you guys don't know who burn rap is look that up it was if you blink you miss burn rap it's about a year and a half rap right would there. love my hair i put red chain dinks <laughs> that's you would get to play today that's right and Robowski sets on the bench you're playing but uh uh red chain dinks, he's if you look on that left field wall he's number two he's got a retired number he's in the hall of fame he's in the cardinals hall of fame but one thing, he's a baseball lifer, mainly a Cardinal lifer. He had coached for a few other teams, too. I think we, we traded him Milwaukee Braves late in his career. And he came back and was a manager with us and a coach, a scout. He hit the fungos to the outfielders, pretty much was a Cardinal most of his career. Um, Red Shane Minks, if you put his playing and his managing together, well, I'd put him at number one. But we're just doing the managing. So he's number four. He managed the Cardinals from 1965 to 1976. And he also, between managers, would come in and fill in while they were uh, interviewing other managers. He managed a little bit in 1980 and a little bit in 1990. So he did have some other uh, things in there. In those 12 years, he had seven winning seasons. Uh, he went to two World Series, 67 and 68. Uh, let's see, won one, lost one. He uh, has uh, the second most wins as a Cardinal manager, 1,041, and nine, but 955 losses for a 522 winning percentage. And uh, I, I always think of him is in the 60s, you had uh, Vietnam going on, you had all the civil rights things, and the Cardinals was one of the first teams that we had a lot of Hispanic players, we had a lot of African-American players and a lot of white players, and they seemed to get along really good. And it was just a, a thing to see that we had Cha-Cha Cepeda and uh, Julian Javier and Lou Brock and Bob Gibson and Tim McCarver and Ted Simmons and all these players. And they loved one another and played great together. And it was just, at that time in America, it was really good to see that. And and Red was the, the coach of the team. Now, Red was never known as a uh, strategist so much but the guys play hard for him. He was old school. And uh, it seemed, I remember those great years. But really, the 60s was when he flourished. Once we got to the 70s and the Pirates and the Phillies kind of took over, we were for always like a third and fourth place team. So my uh, fourth place manager for the St. Louis Cardinals all time is Red Shandings. My first head that I'm going to put up on Mount Rushmore and this is one that probably is more personal than results-oriented. Oh. Uh, I have Jim Fry, who managed the Cubs from 84 to 87. And he had one winning season in 84. 
85, the Cubs had a lot of injuries, and in 86, they did not win. Jim Fry, the reason I put him on here is because in 84, he won the division title, the first time the Cubs had seen the postseason in 40 years, actually 39 years. And by this time, it had become a real albatross around our necks that we had not made the postseason for decades now. So when we did make the postseason, remember at that time only four teams got into the postseason, it was a big deal. And uh, Jim Fry also managed the Royals. Um, he came, I think, from the Baltimore organization where he, he uh, worked for a long time. And he also had a stint as the GM for the Cubs. But um, to he, it was a very talented team. I could go Jody Davis catcher, Leon Durham first, uh, Sandberg MVP second, Larry Boa third, Ron Say, or short, Ron Say third. Left field, Gary Matthews, sorry, center field, Rob, or, uh, Bob Denier, and in right field, uh, Keith Moreland. So, and Rick Seckliff went 16 and 1. So, he did have an uber talented team, but he was the first manager in 40 years to get us over the hump to see some postseason action. So, he's my number four. All right. I like that. My number three is a guy that is, he had kind of an unusual career with the Cardinals. His name's Billy Southworth, and he managed in the 40s. Now, he first managed at the end of the 1929 season, and the team didn't do, they, were, they weren't a real successful team in uh, 29. He goes down in the minors, and he works his way up as a manager in the minor leagues, and he takes Rochester, which was a Cardinal affiliate at the time, to the championship. So, in 19... 40, he becomes the Cardinal manager. And this was a, a great time for Cardinal baseball. Um, he, uh, let's see. He, uh, okay, so from 41 to 45, the Cardinals won 97 games, 106, 105, 105, and 95. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And listen to this lineup at the time. It's kind of easy to be a manager when you got these guys on your team. We had a young, like a 21 through 25-year-old Stan Usual. We had uh, Marty Marion, Ena Slaughter, Mort Cooper, and Max Lanier, who just went in the Cardinal Hall of Fame. I'll, men I'll mention something about Max here in a minute. But uh, three World Series is consecutive. They went to the World Series. Remember, back there in the 40s, there was no playoffs. You had to win the, the pennant, and then you go to the World Series. So uh, we in, uh, let me get this right, 42, we beat the Yankees. 43, we lose to the Yankees, and in 44, and that was the uh, series with the St. Louis Browns. And that's kind of when the Browns popularity waned a little bit. And the Cardinals went even farther up. It was like that 1944 could have been the Browns that stayed and the Cardinals that left, but that, that world series right there, because the Browns never really sniffed the playoffs again. And the Cardinals went on to have some, some great years. Uh, but Billy Southworth was, uh, he's the winningest percentage, uh, percentage in Cardinal history at 642. He left there and went on to uh, manage the Boston Braves. I'm not sure why he left, but that was 1945. Of course, he had to deal with World War II, players leaving, players coming back. Um, so anyway, a 642 winning percentage and Billy Southworth. Now, I'm going to mention a pitcher here, Max Lanier. 
Max Lanier is the first person, you know how Kurt Flood, uh, the antitrust or whatever, he he said, I'm not going to Philadelphia. And he pretty much that ruined his career. It was over. Max Lanier did this, but he did it like uh, 25 years earlier. There was a rule in baseball. You couldn't go play in the Mexican League. The Mexican League was going to pay Max Lanier twice as much as he made with the, in the MLB. So Max Lanier and about seven other players went down to, to uh, Mexico to play ball down there. But the conditions were so bad, they wanted to come back. And the commissioner said, no, you're suspended for five years. Well, he, he shortened it to two. So he had to set out two years and he came back. But uh, anyway, I thought I didn't know that story about Max Lanier. And that's he went to the Cardinal Hall of Fame. And I thought I'd just throw that in there. But Billy Southworth is my number three. And uh, your turn, Vince. My number three is Charlie Grimm. Uh, despite the name, he seemed to be a pretty happy guy. (laughs) He had three stints with the Cubs. He managed them from 32 through 38. Then he went back in 44 and managed them from 44 to 49. And then as an old man, he returned for the 1960 season. He had a 946 and 782 record for a 547 winning percentage. He won pennants in 1935 and in 1945. Uh, so Charlie Grimm, he's my second player on the uh, Mount Rushmore. And as you can see, it's I'm not talking about World Series championships, my first two. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, this guy wore a very nice hat and drove a nice car. So he's the third one on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> anyway, uh, Charlie Grimm is my number three. He did bring us two pennants. Uh, oh and uh, managed there for a total of, I think, nine or 10 years, um, two pennants at the time. And uh, that team in 45 uh, was uh, the last time we saw the uh, playoff or the postseason until 84. Very good. Well, my number two is my favorite Cardinal manager, but I put him at number two, and that is Whitey Herzog. I love Whitey Herzog. Whitey Herzog had a great career going with Kansas City Royals, and for some reason, they let him go. I To this day, I'm very grateful. And uh, Augie Bush wanted him to come here, and he had total control. They also made him the GM. So to get Whitey here, they made him the manager and the GM. He put Red in to manage that year, and then he did a lot of trades. And at the time, Vince, these were not popular. He traded Ted Simmons and Pete Bukovic and Terry Kennedy and – But, uh, you know, we weren't winning. We weren't successful. And he made this team, and the style of ball was was whitey ball. And it was like he called them the Jackrabbits. Everybody was just running, stealing, stealing over 300 bases. It was so fun and exciting. And Whitey was a character. He'd sit and tell you stories and have have some cheese and drink a beer. And it was just a happy time in St. Louis, those 1980s. A lot of good players came through. A lot of fun times. Willie McGee. Who doesn't love Willie McGee? Ozzie Smith. Uh, we stole Willie McGee from the Yankees. Uh, Ozzie, we traded Templeton over and got Ozzie. And I did like Templeton, but Ozzie, my goodness. what uh, he? We went to three World Series in that time and won one of them in 1982. And that's the first. I went to game one, by the way. We lost 10 to nothing against a great Brewer team. And uh, I thought. I thought we were better than the Twins and the Royals, but they ended up kicking our butts. But we did get a World Series out of it. And Whitey was there from 80 to 90. He uh, he uh, won 800 
in 22 games, they lost 728 for a 530 winning percentage. And I think Waddy would have managed the team many, many more years if Augie Bush had lived longer. But once Augie died, kids took the team and they really didn't care for the next five years. And Whitey went ahead and, and left. So my number two, the great, great, and I got him on the wall back. Wait a minute, right there. There's Whitey right there on the back wall. Whitey Herzog. He brought something up that made me think a little bit. Um, they traded Simmons. Yeah. And the big thing Simmons. was he, Whitey asked Simmons, do you, can you play first? And Simmons said, don't want to. So he traded him. If Simmons says, yes, I'll play first, does Hernandez get traded? Yeah, because all I the way I heard it many times is Whitey, uh, you know, Keith Hernandez had some some issues, off the field issues, and Bush didn't want him on the team. And he gave him a deadline to trade him. And he, we got Neil Allen. I think if we had like a year to trade him and find a good trading partner, we could have got something more for him. Nothing against Neil Allen, but he ain't no Keith Hernandez. And I miss Keith. And Keith's in the Cardinal Hall of Fame. We still have a good relationship with him. And he still comes back to St. Louis for special occasions. But seeing him go to the, the evil New York Mets, Vince, I haven't gotten over that yet. I still got heartburn thinking about Keith Hernandez on the New York Mets. But, yeah, I, I think Keith would have went and Ted would have played first. But it all worked out. Ted went up there. Milwaukee fell in love with him. Ted Simmons was my childhood favorite player, though. And that would have been interesting to see what kind of a haul that Hernandez could have got because he was just two years removed from that 79 season where he yeah. was he was unconscious. Yes, sir. So, you know. And not from drugs. I mean, he was <laughs> yeah. um, on the number two place. I don't know if that's the Thomas Jefferson place. I don't know. I, I can't remember where they're at. But anyway, uh, from I got to go back to the archives to 1905, Ooh. 1905 to 1912. Frank Chance was our manager. He had a winning percentage of 664, My 768 gosh. wins in seven eight years so he averaged almost 100 wins and this is when their schedules were 154 games he won the pennants in 06 07 08 09 and 07 and 08 they were the world series champs and the reason i don't have him number one he does have more success than my number one is because there was no stigma of the cubs at that time um he didn't have to fight through decades of futility and this completely negative fan base that, for good reason, had watched all this heartbreak for all these years. I mean, he was just managing another team and uh, just happened to have the best team during those years. And so uh, four pennants, two World Series in uh, eight years. Uh, great job by Frank Chance. Cubs took a chance on him, and he delivered. He's the Tinker Evers to Chance. He's that yep. Chance. Okay, yes. I thought so. I thought so. My goodness. Well, my number one, and a lot of people, he's one of these guys, if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, you probably can't stand him. But Tony La Russa, I love Tony La Russa. Tony La Russa brought, he, was, he always had a veteran-heavy team. A lot of the young guys, he wanted to go with the veterans. He traded for veterans. He brought a lot of guys over from Oakland. Dave Duncan was maybe one of the best things he brought over from Oakland. Dave Duncan, pitching coach extraordinaire. Dave Duncan probably could have been a manager somewhere, but he was happy being Tony's pitching coach. 
and maybe the first pitching coach that goes into the Hall of Fame. I think Dave Duncan might be a Hall of Famer one day as a pitching coach, which I don't think that's ever happened. So anyway, Tony comes over here in 96. We weren't very good. This was after the DeWitt family buys the team, and Tony's the guy they wanted. He came over. Uh, he had been in Oakland a long time, but the team was getting old, and things were changing in Oakland, so he came to St. Louis. And in 96, we made the playoffs, and we hadn't made the playoffs since 87. So he builds this team. And the thing about Tony LaRussa, his nine strong innings, don't take any at-bats off, work, work, work. Had all them veterans. He had Roland and Pujols and Edmonds and uh, Larry Walker and all these guys, uh, Carlos Beltran. And uh, and then Yachty came up and Wayno and uh, all these veteran pitchers, Supine and Woody Williams and all these guys. And we had quite the success in his 16 years. And that's the reason I put him up there, his longevity with the Cardinals uh 96 to 2011 and of course what an ending to the story as far as the cardinals go his last game was the game seven of the 2011 world series we win the rangers i was at that game by the way and uh and uh we go out as world champions and, and tony supposedly rides off to the sunset becomes a hall of famer and then he goes to the white Sox, and that didn't go so well and he's a he's a very old man now playoffs once with the Sox, so yeah that's true that is true um uh 544 winning percentage and um all the guys have great stories of you know not everybody loved him but a lot of the players do and he gave a lot through all these years even with the white Sox and the a's and the cardinals he gave a lot of guys coaching opportunities and one of his good friends is G jim leland who thinks the world of him and gave him his first coaching opportunity and jim leland's a great manager so my number one tony la Russa. Well, my number one, of course, is Joe Madden. Um, he managed the team from 2015 to 2019. Uh, five years, he won 471 games, lost 339, eight, or, uh, 582 winning percentage. Um, he made the playoffs in all five of his years with the uh, Cubs. Uh, and he took the team to three straight National League Championship Series in 15, 16, and 17, 2016. Uh, won the whole thing. And the reason I put him at number one is because he got the monkey off our back, the monkey, the monkey house, the jungle <laughs> off our back, the Kongs off our back, however, yeah, whatever metaphor I could use to hammer this home. Cardinal fans really have no idea what it's like being a Cub fan. We are used to the shoe dropping. Somehow, some way, something's going to happen. Something weird is going to happen to us because we, the Chicago Cubs, and that's how we roll. We have the Bartmans. We have the uh, ball go through Durham's legs. We have Les Lancaster for getting the count and giving up a, a home run to uh, someone in, with the Giants. We had the year that... Uh, uh, Players used to not put their gloves over the face. Pitchers did when they were talking to the pitching coach and the uh, other players because you know why? Because Greg Maddox in the 89 playoffs said inside fastball and Will Clark read his lips and he had a grand slam. <laughs> That's what we're used to. We're used to Ted Lilly giving up a, a, a run and throwing his glove down in game one of the playoffs and completely we're used to that kind of stuff. So when 
it didn't happen. It almost happened. Rajay Davis hit that homer and said, aha, this is how it happens this time. No, it didn't happen. We scored two runs. And then even on that last out, when Bryant throws the ball to Rizzo, he starts to slide. And I'm thinking, there it is. There it is. But the ball goes to Rizzo's face and he catches it. It finally happened for us. And Joe Madden was the perfect manager for that team. That team was very young and very talented. And he used to do things like he would bring a petting zoo in uh, to spring training, or he would bring, he would have American Legion Day during the season, which meant you don't get into the clubhouse before five o'clock. There's no bad advice. You just show up and play baseball like it's American Legion ball. He did stuff like that. Now, after the 17 season, when we ran out of gas, we we did go to the uh, division title or the National League uh, Championship uh, Series. We did go there, but that's kind of when Theo and Ricketts with the kibosh on, they don't do this crap anymore. And they started managing him from on high. Uh-huh. And that's when he got fired. After He tried to conform. After the 2019 season, he, he got fired. He went to, to uh, Los Angeles, managed the Angels. Found out that that's just how managing it is now. It comes from the top, and you're just yes man. So he was the last of the managers who still had that kind of control, and you're just not going to see that anymore. There's still some managers that had that kind of autonomy, um, but as the Prismochis uh, retire, good. Um, as uh, the Dusty Bakers retire for good, managing is just going to be. You're just another cog in the wheel, and you're going to do exactly what the general manager tells you to do. Uh, but Madden still had that kind of autonomy, brought a World Series to Chicago. So, Joe Madden, you are my George Washington. I, I want to say something about Joe Madden. When you guys were building that team in 2013, all the way up through there, I really, I was like, well, they got some good young players. Let's, mm, let's see what happens. I wasn't, wasn't really upset or nothing but the day you got joe madden i thought "Uh oh i try to keep a happy face and like ah well even joe Madden can't turn this around but when you got joe Madden, i start getting really concerned like things are different now in chicago because that guy's good and uh i'm hoping that's not the end of those guys maybe if a player becomes a manager say like a say yachty comes back to st louis there might be a little more give and take yachty's kind of a wild man anyway but say a player of that ilk comes back and manages the team maybe there could be a a little old schoolness to it i don't know i'm hoping yeah this this is interesting um because manager before um joe madden was ricky renteria and we knew we had all this young talent coming and we knew that we were probably going to be good and Renteria, we were fine with. Uh, 2014, uh, yeah, we had this young team and talent still in the minors. But you could start to see flashes of things, and Renteria would have managed that 2015 team if Matt wouldn't have become available. So it was kind of a victim of circumstance. Then Ricky Renteria's next managing stint is with the White Sox, they were in the exact same situation. They were not that good, but that that talent in the minor leagues was there, and he knew it was going to come up. And what Reinsdorf do? He hired 
Tony La Russa to get them to uh, the next level. So kind of feel sorry for Ricky Renteria because he kind of went through the same uh, same crap different day. Mm. So, or some different teams. I, JJ, I want to tell you something. Oh, yeah. I I found these at a uh, at that store in Potosi. Yes. 1987 Kmart's Collector's Edition Stars of the Decade from Tops. That's why I'm wearing my Tops. Top I love team. it. And I remember those. I, I forgot all about them until you brought those back. Because wow. in 87, I was in college. So I wasn't collecting cards or anything at this time. So I'd never seen these. And the box, there's 33 cards here. The box had never been open. Uh, so there was gum. I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I had to open and see what was in here. But uh, for the next two weeks, I'm just going to go halves on these. Uh, Ooh, I'm excited. And I'm going to tell you something, JJ. This is how good of a friend I am. You live in Potosi. Yeah. If you go to the ice cream store slash uh, uh, thrift store, I left one of these there oh, I'll for be you. Thank so you. There, Saturday. Uh, Go find them and it'd be five dollars. Do not chew the gum. Right. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through half these uh, today and then half next week. Oh I sure. You, I have all of famers. That's all I have. <laughs> these are the stars from the 60s, 70s, and 80s of these cards. Oh, I love the pictures too and the uniforms. So I'll go ahead and get started. All right. Frank Robinson. Yes, two oh, MVP in both of it in National and American League. Yeah, very good with the uh, Reds and the Orioles. Uh, never heard of this guy, by the way, Hall of Famer. Never heard of this guy, Carl Yastrzemski. Oh, Triple Crown, 67. Oh, yeah, uh, yes. I, I do like the Kmart up there. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's right. Uh, 25th anniversary, Collector's Edition. Nolan Ryan, Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. All-time great. This guy is not a Hall of Famer. Oh. Pete Rose, he must have really sucked. <laughs> you um, all know my feelings on Pete Rose. Right? I, I agree with you. Hall of Famer, Edward Murray. Oh, yeah. With power. He get hit. This guy is not a Hall of Famer. He will never be a Hall of Famer. But if he would have kept himself clean, could have been one of the all-time greats. I'm talking about Dr. K. White Gooden. By the way, I read a statistic. For the first three years of your career, he had more strikeouts than anyone in the history of baseball for the first three years of his career. That's pretty impressive. Hall of Famer, George Brett. Oh, yeah, George Brett. He could put a bat on an aspirin. Hit that thing out there. Hall of Famer, Jim Rice. Jim Rice. Oh, yeah. Lennon Rice. Oh, Hall of Famer, Michael Schmidt, Michael Jack Schmidt, Michael Jack Schmidt, Hall of Famer, Wilver Dornell Stargell. Oh, yes, Pops, Hall of Famer, Steve Carlton. Oh, lefty was a Cardinal, <laughs> Hall of Famer, Jim Palmer. Yes. Not a Hall of Famer, but held one of the most prestigious records in baseball for decades. Roger Maris, the pride of Fargo, North Dakota. 
Love Roger. Ended his career with the Cardinals. Yes, he did. Hall of Famer, Rod Carew. One of my top five favorite players. I love Rod Carew. Not a Hall of Famer. It had a very good, a Hall of Very Good. Uh, had a tremendous start to his career. The screwballer, Fernando Valenzuela. Fernando. They just retired his number, by the way, the Dodgers. Very nice. Very nice. Hall of Famer, the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, Phoebe Richard. I mean, uh, <laughs> Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson. I am the greatest. <laughs> now I am the greatest. <laughs> yes. Oh, and Hall of Famer, not my favorite cat as a human being because I thought he was so arrogant. He played for the Mets, but man, I have to respect him the late. Gary Carter. Gary Carter. Oh, Jack Clark don't like Gary Carter. But yeah, Gary Carter was a great player. I love him in that Expo uniform. Yeah, uh, and then, then he went to the dark side. So Yeah, he went to the uh, evil team. Part one, I'll open the rest of these uh, next week. Who you got? It's my last. Rob one again? <laughs> yeah, Rob Riggle with the whole cast of the other guys. Yeah, Alan Ginter, six cards. But before I open this, I'm going to show a couple of little treats I got. I got... Uh, and not maybe not a lot of people have these. I have Mason Wynn rookie cards, Springfield Cardinals, Mason Wynn right there. How about that? Very with good. the S with the bird in there. How about that? And this is a Donruss Mason Wynn. It's not the prettiest card in the world, but that's nice. There's a, a Mason Wynn run right there. So I got two Mason Wynn cards. And now, da 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 da. Who in the heck is this? I don't know who the hell that is. Oh, my God. All right. We got a good one here. Hall of Famer, Burt Blylevin. Be home by 11 right there. Oh, yeah. The curveball. One of the greatest curveballs in baseball history. Uh, this guy, you know what? If he was healthy this year, he this team could be on the bubble for the playoffs. Well, probably not. But Steven Strasburg played at San Diego State for Tony Gwynn when he managed there. Uh, let's see who else we got here. Uh, okay. An outfielder for the Minnesota twins, Royce Lewis. I don't know who that is, Vince. No, he's know. an outfielder for the twins. <laughs> see, that's what I do. I come to bed and he, he, he fills in the missing pieces. Oh, yeah. right there. All right. This is uh oh, this is such an old looking card. This is pretty cool. A, uh, pitching Jim Corbin Burns. Ah, there you go. Ooh. I tell you what, that dude, he, he, that's going to hurt Milwaukee if he leaves next year. That's the ace of that team. Please vote. Please leave. <laughs> please. Um, okay. This guy here is uh, Bryson. It's the miniature card. Bryson Stott from the Phillies right there. So he's a big player. I tell you what, the Phillies are going to be trouble for people if they get in the playoffs this year. If, if they make it, they could be. Now, this guy, I have no clue who it is. It's some guy in a windbreaker named T.J. Osborne. Who the heck is that? Is he the one to sing on the wings of love? On the wings of love. No. <laughs> is that that T.J., Ozzy, yeah. Jack. I don't know. He's one of the Osborne brothers. The Os Osborne's Osborne. no best. Yeah. But God, it was one of us. Yeah. I don't even know. I'll have to read the back of that to see even who that is. Something about the Grammys. I don't know about that. I, All right, man. Music. I'm an old man. Did you watch Sunday night's uh, 
game between the uh, Phillies and the Nationals on ESPN at the uh, Little League World Series Park? Uh, I saw the Phillies in the playoffs cheering for the Pennsylvania team, and they were all uh, – Kyle Schwarber and those guys were in the stands having a good time. I didn't get to see the game. No, I did. I saw. I saw bits. I saw the highlights. Is what I saw. Yeah, I think. I think it was Bryson. Bryson Stott. I don't remember exactly, but I think it was him. They let them pimp their bats for this. His bat looked just like a pencil. It was the coolest thing. Oh my gosh! I mean, like a um, Bryce Harper's bat. He had. It was green, and he had like a Philly fanatic themed. But he came up the bat. Stock came up the bat. I think it was him, and it looked just like a giant pencil. It was oh, so cool with an eraser man. and everything. So, what do you do? You, uh, do you love the idea of the Little League World Series and they play a game there? I know they already named. A, I love it. I don't know about you, but the Tigers and the Yankees, I think, are next year. See, I I loved it. What I really loved about it was the two kids. I don't know. They they had played in the Little League World Series. Uh, so they had two, a couple of the kids announcing, doing the uh, play-by-play oh. in the color. And they weren't, they wouldn't like calling you, oh, there's a slider on the outside, you know. Uh, but one was doing play-by-play and one was doing color. Then they had former alum of the Little League World Series uh, interviewing during innings. Uh, so they had a lot of, you know, not adults, but kids who were alums of the World Series they did. They did all the interviewing and all the the announcing and everything. That was cool. It was more of a spectacle. The game was completely secondary to the interviews and everything else going on. Uh, but it, yeah, I watched it for the first five innings and I thought it was really cool. And uh, then I got tired of it. <laughs> well, Tennessee had uh, a girl on their team, and her name was Stella, and they called the team Stella and the Fellas. And I was rooting for him because I was like, come on, Stella. And she was in the dugout and cheering him on and getting them all, you know, riled up. It was great. It's good to see, you know, yeah. I'm glad they do that. And there was a stat that came out this week that more kids under the age of 12 play baseball than any other sport. So that's good to see the kind of a rebirth of baseball going on. I think they're doing the right thing with marketing uh, the superstars and doing the uh, field of dreams game and the little league world series and all that stuff. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, there are some things about Manfred that I like. There's a lot of stuff that I'm not a tremendous fan of, but I can say this since he's been commissioner, since he took over for, um, oh gosh, Seelig. Yeah. Since he took <laughs> over for Seelig, he has brought in, put a lot of effort, and they've seen a lot of uh, um, progress in expanding the sport into other countries and into the youth, not just America, but other countries too. Uh, so, you know, for every goofy thing that Manfred does, like calling the World Series Championship a hunk of metal and not taking it away from the Astros and uh, letting some teams push them around uh, to get what they want <laughs> open. Um, <laughs> yeah, by the way, uh, the uh, White Sox, their leases or their uh, agreement with, uh, uh, gosh, I don't even know what they call it anymore. Kaminsky? It used to be Kaminsky. It used to be Kaminsky, U.S. Cellular, whatever they're calling that thing anymore. Yeah. Uh, they're, 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 uh, 
their leases up in five years. And uh, the stadium was built in 91. I think it opened and it's, it's quite dated. Um, it's not a good part of town. And they're talking about um, maybe it's time to move this team either into the suburbs or completely relocate it. Oh, um, so I hate to see that. Yeah. So maybe it, a new stadium, I wouldn't be appalled with. I went to that stadium and it was just, I mean, it was a major league game, but it was kind of bland. It really, I love the old Kaminsky, but oh, it was falling apart. But uh, that, that new stadium, it's just not nothing special about it. I don't think. Yeah. I think, I think next summer we're going to try to do, me and Max are going to try to do a White Sox, Cubs, oh, Brewers yeah. kind of thing. Oh, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I, 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 I've been by Kaminsky, but I've just never been there before. So um, I'd kind of like to see a game there. I would have loved to have went to the old Kaminsky uh, when it was falling apart. Uh, I went about five times. I was in the Navy, and I'd take the, I'd take the tram down and go see a double hitter when the Brewers and the White Sox were playing each other. So well, that's pretty cool. Well, JJ, it's been a fun, fun day. It's been it has fun been fun. Day. And... Uh, I next week I'm excited. We'll have trivia back. Max will be back at school, so not going to have his work schedule screwing everything up. I think he's chomping at the bit a little bit to get back in here and yeah. to show everybody what a great trivia meister he is and what a great baseball fan and mind he is. And Corby uh, Baker, uh, it's time to put the put the hammer down on that kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's do it. Well, JJ, you have a good week. You too, and I'll sir. Talk to you next week.